it was a, a, an incredibly poor uh, winter's day in Melbourne. Um, you could hardly see the ball in front of you. And, um, and this young guy uh, on the final siren kicked the winning goal. And uh, I, was, I just remember feeling from the coach's box so proud of this young person who had taken his, his chance and really run with it and, it and it had paid off for him. Welcome to Swim.Rocks, the show that shares ideas, information and inspiration between swimming people who stay dry. I'm your host, Ben Ramsden, and this week we're talking to Lee Russell, the CEO of Swimming Australia. Now, I really enjoyed my conversation with Lee. She took over as CEO about Easter time last year. So she's quite a few months into the job now. So it's a really good time to, to talk. Um, we started off and discussed a bit about her background and what makes her tick. We got her initial impressions of swimming and then had an interesting conversation about what drives high performance and also uh, in the areas of swimming, what she thinks will keep going and what areas we might see change. Anyway, that's enough for me. Let's just get into the conversation. So I'd love to welcome Lee Russell, CEO, that's Chief Executive Officer of Swimming Australia to Swim.Rocks this morning. Lee, you're, you're, the, big, you're the big cheese, I believe. <laughs> Thank you, Ben. It's nice to nice to be with you. Um, I'm not sure I've ever been called the big cheese. I've probably been called lots of things, but um, uh, yeah, that's an interesting way. But yes, I am I am the leader, um, and uh, I've been around now for about ten months. So still trying to understand the quantum, I guess, of of everything at swimming, but um, certainly feeling more like the furniture now than I did perhaps uh, a few months ago. Oh, very good. And apologies, perhaps it's my pommy roots talking about big cheeses. I'm not sure how well that, <laughs> that no, translates. No, no, it's all right. It's great. It's great. <laughs> now, if I may, I'd like to spend a few minutes just uh, exploring your background because your your background is absolutely fascinating. Um, and I think our listener will be fascinated um, both for your diversity and range, but also just to understand what makes you tick. So um, if I may, um, I've tried cool. to group it into two areas. You've done an awful lot in sport. Um, you are still chair of Tennis Victoria's nomination committee. You've been doing that for five years. For Australian cricket, you're chair of the player development committee for two years. For Netball Victoria, you were CEO for three years. In fact, you were the youngest CEO appointed in their history. Um, you've been GM people and culture for Essendon Football Club for three years. And in fact, you were the first woman to hold a senior executive permission in a AFL club during that period. You've been general manager of leadership and development for the Gold Coast Football Club for a year. National manager of careers and education for the AFL Players Association for a couple of years. And as if that wasn't enough, you've also been working for the Victorian government um, on a women in sport and active recreation task force. Um, now that's just You're making me feel old. <laughs> <laughs> no comment. No comment. <laughs> I haven't looked into those details of your background. You can tell us later. <laughs> Very if you good. Want Keep to. it that way. <laughs> So on the non-sporting side, you work for the University of Adelaide. Uh, you're director of organisation and an organisational development specialist and performance coach for Inspired Heads. You're director of the Ignition Project. 
You've also authored two books, um, Game On and Every Girl Needs a Plan. And you're a mind coach and you're accredited in, in various personality profiling tools. Look, I'm just going to pause for breath for a moment, Lee, there. <laughs> have, I, have I captured all the key details? And if so, can you, can you help us join the dots, please? Just explain what makes you tick. Oh, uh, uh, Ben, thank you. I mean, that's, it, um, it's, it's hard to actually maybe listen to the, the shiny points because I think probably in, in and amongst all of that, there is, um, I could probably share just as many um, failures as well. So, I, um, look, I, I love I love. Sport. Um, sports played a, a huge role for me in my personal life, and I, I just love the, I, I guess, the way that um, it can impact and influence people's lives, both from, you know, the the, the inspiration of, of the elite athletes, but also uh, just the day to day role that it can play in our lives. Um, and I guess uh, I started I started my work life as a as a school teacher, so I was a I was a secondary teacher, and I love. I loved uh, working with the kids and and really starting to understand uh, what made people tick. So I know you just asked me what makes me tick, but I think for me the the reason for being probably is I'm endlessly fascinated with how to get the best out of people um, and, uh, you know, really the, the psychology of being an athlete and also then how we use that information for our, our individual lives just, uh, you know, sort of on the day-to-day basis. So... Um, I think my career has been a bit of a patchwork quilt because I haven't had um, a very strong, uh, you know, goal in terms of I want to be that or I want to be this. It's for me, it's always been about the people I work with and the kind of impact that that role or, or you know, the project could actually potentially have in the future. Fascinating. Now, I just want to touch on you've written two books and as those of us have written books know books are you don't make a lot of money out of books but they're, they're a great <laughs> a great calling card and they're really a labor of love when you when you put them together yeah. uh, one of them's game on and the other one's every girl needs a plan can you tell us a bit about your sort of inspiration or motivation to spend all the hours writing writing not just one book but two books and those two in particular <laughs> Well, I guess I must probably make a, a not a confession, but certainly call out that the our uh, the first book that we wrote, Game On, um, we then uh, I guess re reformatted that book and and wrote a little bit more for the second book for a, a slightly different audience. So, Game On was really for uh, women who were in their careers trying to navigate all the things that. Uh, pop up for women from in the day-to-day environments and we were trying to obviously um, build confidence and self-esteem and you know get get people to think about themselves as a whole person not just you know their identity through their job title or or perhaps um, where they'd been in the in the past we then wanted to make a, a, you know a book that was I guess easily digestible for uh, younger women and so um, I like to think of it that we wrote one and a half books rather than just one. And you're right, you don't, well, and, unless you're JK Rowling, um, you're probably not making a lot of money from book writing, but it was always a real ambition of mine. I love writing. I love writing about personal development and, and sharing, obviously, the things that have worked for me, but also the things that haven't worked for me uh, so that we can uh, feel connected through story and, and, I guess, human experience with each other and um, particularly, you know, in these times where we're seeing just the highlight reel on uh, social media with with people's lives, I think it's actually so important that 
particularly for women, that we we do uh, balance the ledger a little bit in in relation to life is is a bit messy and it's not uh, it's not linear as people perhaps m- might want you to believe. So, you know, if we can all be feeling a little more human and normal by uh, you know sharing our story, I think that's a that's a real success point. So, I was I was really passionate to write the book with Bianca Chatfield, who's a, a former uh, Australian Diamond netballer. And um, most recently on the block, actually, I guess she's she's now known for her fame um, on the TV show. But uh, but certainly our our passion was about getting people to think about themselves and and where they wanted to go and what kind of skills they would need in their toolkit to 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 get what they they want out of life and not just those technical skills, but the ones I think that have been called soft skills for a long time, which. I think we're now starting to understand that there's nothing soft about the soft skills. They're the, they're the skills that you, you need in the background um, day in, day out. Yeah, soft skills are remarkably hard in my, uh, in my, <laughs> in my experience. Absolutely. Look, I feel we could talk about that and more for absolutely ages, but uh, we're here to talk about swimming, uh, or at least swimming to swimming people that, that stay dry. Um, you said you've been in the role 10 months now. Um, doesn't yep. time fly? What were your initial impressions when, when, you, when you landed, you know, with such a background in sport? How, how does sort of swimming compare to all the others that you've been at? Uh, it's it's really it's been a really interesting journey for me. Um, I have been on that listening tour, um, talking to as many people as I can, uh, getting a real sense of the lay of the land um, from the people that are in that particular community. And I guess it's not unlike other sports I've been in, you know, where where you find um, an incredible bunch of people who are absolutely passionate about this thing called swimming in all its various formats, from competitive to rec to to masters to, to you know however they're kind of consuming uh, swimming but the thing that I think has struck me the most is just our incredible relationship as Australians with swimming uh, it, you know as, as I've moved around the country people generally have got a story to tell uh, about the role that swimming plays in their life and, and because it's such a part of our lifestyle as well and as parents, we, we obviously invest quite a bit in, in ensuring our child's safety through, through swimming lessons. Um, it really has so many multiple touch points to, to everybody in the community. Uh, the other thing that struck me is that how big um, the breadth of, of this sport and, uh, you know, from the, from the top down in, in terms of our athletes and participants. So uh, I've worked in teams where, you know, the team is obviously in one spot, um, the admin team sits right behind that team in the in the same spot, and you're all heading in, in 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 the same direction. Whereas, you know, swimming is very much an individual sport that we bring together as a team uh, sport with the dolphins. And so, you know, there's there's people everywhere. Um, I think there's there's lots of passion, uh, but but also there's that probably that opportunity to unite the tribe uh, a bit more. And and that's certainly one of the things that we'll focus on in the in the coming months and years. It's, it's it sounds fascinating to me there's this almost national australian institution which is swimming and you're now ceo <laughs> of the uh, of the organization with with that as the title um 
I'm at risk of making a pun here about trying to boil the ocean. But, uh, you know, there's a risk of, of <laughs> well, trying to... Well, there's so to... many puns in swimming, Ben. There, uh, that's the other thing I've learned. You can't almost use a sentence without some sort of um, pun associated with, with swimming. So it is the sport of puns, I've, I've decided. <laughs> oh, well, in, th- in that case, let's jump into it then. And, uh, <laughs> let's dive in. Dive in, yeah. <laughs> so what is the role of, of CEO um, in the context of, of that massive opportunity? It's, it's, it's a really interesting role in that, uh, you know, we really exist for two things at Swimming Australia, the, the participation side of, of our operations and what we do and working closely with our member organisations to, you know, think about how we are going to grow this tribe and how we uh, are going to deliver swimming experiences for, for the community. And then, we've, of course, we've got our, our dolphins where it's all about high performance and elite pathways and, and ensuring that when we uh, need to perform, we, we perform uh, because I think that is the expectation also of the Australian public. You know, over time, we have got used to swimming, uh, being on the podium uh, at our Olympic time. And, and when we're not, we, we very much, uh, you know, uh, I guess, get the feedback that we should be. So I think there's a lot of pressure to perform. And there's also then a lot of pressure to um, continue to grow the pathway or the pipeline of, of talent in this country so that we can continue to, to do what we do at the at the elite end. So uh, for me, the role of CEO is incredibly multifactorial. Um, it's about leading the team here at Swimming Australia. It's about being able to positively influence a, a national direction uh, with our member organisations who are who are all different and, and uh, have different needs. And, and then, of course, it's about um, ensuring that we are set to, to perform when it really counts. And, and that takes um, an incredible amount of people and, and uh, talent behind the scenes to make that happen. So I feel like I'm a conductor, really, uh, in all of that and, and constantly spinning the plates to make sure that not one of those things falls off the, the strategic agenda. So in your role as conductor, are you, is somebody <laughs> giving, you the, giving you the script to, to conduct or are you, um, are you sort of working out uh, what the way forward is? A bit of both. Um, you know, we work really closely with Sport Australia, Kate Palmer and her her team, who who's really setting a direction from the government uh, angle and really looking at sport from from all of all pieces of the puzzle. Um, federated sports uh, that there that are then also needing to be modern sporting organisations. Uh, you know, they're they're interesting places to to work in because on one hand. You've got a very traditional space um, where this sport hasn't really changed in a long, long time. Um, and then on the other hand, you, you know, we're really start becoming very uh, mindful of how the world outside of us is changing and how, how it is changing, how people are consuming sport and, and what their level of um, expectation and engagement might be in the future. And certainly, you know, over the last few years, sport in general has, has now got many more competitors in the marketplace for people's time and attention. Um, and, and certainly, you know, a traditional sport like swimming, we need to start thinking about what are the impacts and how do we, how do we encourage a new generation of people to swimming um, with all the things that are happening outside of us. So I think, you know, for me, it's, 
it's continually nudging the agenda, but certainly listening to the to the uh, things that are important to our member organisations, to our corporate partners, uh, to our patron. Um, you know, you know, there's a there's a various amount of people that are involved in in setting that that direction. So. You've been on your listening tour, you've been here 10 months, you're working with many stakeholders, including Sport Australia. Do you have a sense yet about what's going to be sort of business as usual, just keep going steady as she goes versus what's what's changing, what's going to be different? Uh, I think in terms of, it's an interesting thing because high performance is probably your steady as she goes, but having said that, we always need to be looking for the next, uh, I guess the next competitive advantage over our other nations and and so on. So you know, from here to Tokyo, it is steady as she goes. Uh, Jaco and the team really uh, know and understand and have you know very significant plans uh, that have been in place for quite a while. So in terms of that part, that's really you know we, we've got a direction and we're we're moving in that direction um, very steadily. And of course, while it sounds like uh, Tokyo 2020 is a long way away, um, having just entered 2019, that time in a high performance uh, way is is very, very short. So it matters what we do from here uh, day to day and and all of the the thousands of uh, one percenters that that make up this thing called high performance. So it it definitely steady as she goes in terms of, of that approach. But then also, you know, uh, on the other side of, I guess, our, our quantum of operations, everything is changing. Sport Australia is changing their their investment model. Um, corporate partners, uh, you know, uh, expectations are constantly uh, increasing. So I think uh, it's, it's probably a, a game of um, work on what we need to work on in terms of change, but also keeping our eye on the things that need to really be rock solid so that we can we can give ourselves the best possible chance of performing uh, at the Olympics. Have you got any specific examples you can share about where some of that change may be? Um, well, I think the, the world outside of us, as I mentioned, is probably the thing that is changing most rapidly. And uh, in terms of participation products, um, how, as I said before, how people consume sport or, or want to find sport. Um, we've seen, for example, with all of the work that's been done with women and girls in sport, that it's not going to be good enough or acceptable for, for that um, part of our community to simply be bolted on to programs that perhaps have always existed. Um, in other sports, for example, you know, they have just made the assumption that young girls will, uh, you know, come to these products that have been around for a long time. But what we're finding is that, uh, you know, the different parts of the community want different things and, and certainly they, they're consuming sport in, in different ways. So the interesting question for swimming is uh, it's still very traditional. Uh, it's, a, it's a whole family uh, activity in terms of because we train at, you know, five o'clock in the morning and for a lot of sessions a week, um, parents and, and siblings and grandparents and so on are often uh, knee deep in the sport as well as the, as the person that's actually um, in it. Um, and, and modern families have got, um, you know, enormous pressures on them. Most, both parents in our work usually, um, that, you know, we, we expect kids to be involved in a whole range of activities, whereas once upon a time it might have been the only thing that, um, that kids did. 
So it's, it, it, I think the world around us is rapidly changing um, and, and our job probably now is to figure out um, what swimming will look like um, in the next five to ten years and how we can encourage more people to find uh, swimming and, and make it part of their life um, along the journey and that might not look like it looks right now and I think that's one of the one of the key challenges for us to continue to, to talk about in, in our communities and with our boards and, and uh, member organisations. I see. So the sort of the, the continuity factor is water rather than sort of five o'clock in the morning with a coach uh, doing, the, uh, doing yeah. the set. Yeah, okay. It's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Something else you mentioned a couple of minutes ago, um, the fascinating statement, you said um, the thousands of one percenters that make up uh, competitive advantage or i think you said something like that can you just can you just mm, unpack mm. that statement the thousands thousands of one percenters um i i'm of the view that high performance isn't your shiny um objects you know that people may think it is it is is it is all the things that are happening um that make up the sum of of what we call high performance so you know for our athletes in particular it's it's how it's not how they train um, sorry, it's not only how they train, it's how they live, it's how they think, it's it's what's going on above the shoulders. Um, and then it's how, you know, we uh, grow these people um, in and out of the pool. Um, it, it's, it's all of the systems and structures and, and processes that you put in place um, brick by brick, basically, that, that make up, uh, you, you know, the totality of, of, of a high-performance environment. It's, it's attitudes, mindsets, um, you know who you employ, uh, what their what their skills are like, what their capacity is, um, and how they get the best out of people as well. And 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 so I think it's 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 decision by decision uh, rather than leaving it to luck or to chance. And and so I I like to think about it is the time, it is the sum of all parts, um, you know. And and we need to be looking at all of those parts to make sure that. Uh, things are working and if they're not working why and uh, you know I love to ask the shoulds what should we be doing this and and if not why not and um, you know those probing questions to continue to ask um, yourself and and people in that high performance environment because that one thing that um, you know I think really kills a kills a high performance performance environment is resting on your laurels and and not having the mindset of continuous improvement and uh you know all, every person needs to be um aiming for the same goal and uh you know i've seen it work many times in different sports and i've seen it fail many times in different sports because of the lack of attention that is paid to the things that they, perhaps people don't normally see outside of that environment but um certainly you know the the the, the sum of parts for me is, is very, very important. That's fascinating. And I'm conscious that, that our listener is a, is a volunteer or a parent or administrator or a coach. Um, so they, you know, they are one of those parts that, 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 that adds up to, to being the high performance. What advice or, or messages uh, would you share with, with that audience in terms of how they, how they can best contribute to, uh, to, to getting the best result? I think if in every sport, and particularly in this sport, uh, volunteers uh, are where it all begins and, and possibly ends. So um, I think we have an enormous 
passionate uh, base of, of volunteers that are running our clubs, that are our technical officials, that are doing all of the little jobs, even the one percent is at that grassroots level. Um, my message would be that all of those parts play a very significant role in the the process and evolution of a young person uh, who may or may not become an elite athlete, an elite swimmer. Um, and certainly the end game is obviously to, to uh, deliver success to the country via swimming, but they're all playing a very important role. And my uh, my key thing would be don't underestimate the role that you're playing. Um, it may not feel like you are connected sometimes to a to a broader uh, picture of swimming, but without the people that are have, are putting their heart and soul in, um, you know, day by day up that daily grind of of running clubs and 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 frankly sometimes the work of running clubs is is not easy or or um, uh, you know something perhaps you, you would wish to do um, and lots of people find themselves in the situation and 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 take it up, but it is it is connected to a to a very a much bigger system right around the country and a, and a, and a heartbeat, I guess, the DNA of, of the country. And so it's actually everybody's playing a pretty significant role in uh, developing people. And that's really what this sport is about. And so, yes, it's about the technicality of swimming. I, I get that. But really, it's about um, giving people opportunities to, to shine. And some of them will become elite athletes and some won't. But, but by and large, they'll become better people for their experience of having been in this sport. And, and, and the volunteers are the caretakers of that. Lovely. Um, what I'm actually hearing as part of what you're saying there is each volunteer is one of the thousands of the one percenters, um, you know, all nudging things in the right direction. Um, absolutely, and and I think you know my motto has always been for the greater good of the sport. Always, no matter what what sport I'm I'm in, and I think um, you know the majority of people I meet, that's kind of the motto that's driving them as well. And and certainly without that heartbeat, um, we will have no end product. And I think our our Olympians, uh, no matter uh, you know whether they're bronze, silver, or gold, or, or fifth or sixth in the race. I think at those points, that that's the point where everybody in the swimming community should feel very proud of of, of the achievements, collective achievements, and uh, and it's something really to celebrate. But likewise, the thousands of stories that I hear of people that perhaps haven't got to that level or, or don't wish to get to that level, but swimming has had a profound uh, impact on their life, and they they absolutely feel part of a community and something feel part of something bigger than themselves and I think that's the end game and and so you know for for me volunteers are, are the ones driving that experience i i I can sit here um, creating strategy and 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 making sure things are ticking away from i guess the national level, but without that that baseline uh, we would we would be nothing. Lee, thank you. Um, I'm conscious you've got a, a big remit. You've got a big day ahead of you. Um, just be, just before we let you go, uh, are you up for the quick fire round of questions? I, I think so. <laughs> I <hope> so. <laughs> okay, well, there's, there's five questions for you. Number one, what's been the most useful piece of advice or equipment during your sporting career? Oh, I love the equipment part. That might take longer to think about. Um, uh uh, oh God, Ben, that's a great question. Um, uh, I, I live basically by the motto: um, "Do it 
and seek forgiveness later if it's the wrong thing. So, you know, really backing yourself in and, and just having a go, having a crack. And I think the sport is the, is the ultimate um, way you can do that. Question two. If you were to officiate at a New South Wales meet, which I'm sure you wouldn't, although you're very welcome to, <laughs> the Lucky Door Prize. I don't think I could. <laughs> oh, you, you can time keep, I'm sure. I can, indeed. <laughs> Have, are you accredited, by the way? No, oh, no, should, I'm not. We should we should get that no. arranged for you. You know, you look, know. I'm happy. I'm happy to give it a go, but I'm scared stupid too that I might I might stuff something up. I've seen these technical officials in action. They, they take no prisoners. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it, it, when, when you develop your CV in that in that direction, sure. uh, the the lucky door prize is uh, either a bottle of wine or box of chocolates. Are you wine or chocolates? Uh, is there an option to have both? <laughs> and if there's not i go wine every day of the week <laughs> and what sort of wine would it be oh a big deep dark shiraz or cab sav or, or something like that it, or it, or a bottle of lee nugent um wine that he he often brings in uh from from a homegrown base with a box of chocolates on the side, by the sounds of it. Absolutely. It's always taped to the bottle, isn't it? Surely there's a box of chocolates there somewhere. <laughs> I think you're going to have to definitely get that uh, timekeeper qualification if you're going to qualify for both. <laughs> Excellent. I'll work on that. <laughs> uh, number three, what, if anything, would you do differently if you had your sporting career all over again? I, I think the thing, uh, I work with a fair bit of pace and I know that is a style that is um, sometimes you know, you've got to remember that you've got to take people with you. So I, I would probably, particularly in my younger days, uh, ask more questions and maybe uh, sort of check my assumptions on what happens. I think the high-performance environment, particularly in AFL, has, has taught me, you know, you really make no assumptions and, and remain endlessly curious about human behaviour. Question four, what's your 50 metres freestyle personal best time? Um, I'm going <laughs> to uh, – I'm not sure. I was a squad swim, swimmer when I was, when I was a teenager, um, but that, that was more than about a bunch of years ago, and, and, and to be honest, I can't remember. And I haven't, I haven't timed myself in recent years, and I'm, frankly, I don't want to. <laughs> Well, some people have replied to that question. It should be measured on a calendar and not a watch. Um, so uh, I th- look, I'm probably in that camp. Absolutely, I, I love being in the water, but I'm not sure I'm built for speed at this point in my life. Okay. <laughs> and question five, and final question: What's been your most exciting sporting moment? Uh, I, I've got many, and I and um, I could probably talk a long time about some of the most incredible things that I've seen and, and witnessed um, and, and been such a pri- it's been a, such a privilege to be part of. Uh, one that stands out for me is, is working um, behind the scenes at Essendon Football Club many, many years ago and uh, we used to have big Anzac Day clashes, uh, Essendon versus Collingwood and of course, that's the that's the religion here in Victoria. So, so 100,000 people at the MCG, and I, I worked with a young guy called David Zaharakis, who who was in his first year of um, of football, and we'd worked quite closely, you know, making sure that these athletes were were set up for success. 
um, it, it, it was a, a, an incredibly poor uh, winter's day in Melbourne. Um, you could hardly see the ball in front of you. And, um, and this young guy uh, on the final siren kicked the winning goal. And uh, I, was, I just remember feeling from the coach's box so proud of this young person who had taken his, his chance and really won, run with it and, it and it had paid off for him. So that, that one springs to mind um, quite often. Um, but, uh, you know, really for me it's about... Um, having known that I've played a role somehow, even if it's just a tiny insignificant one, and then watching somebody really excel at what they do, I get I get such a sense of pride and 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 passion um, out of that. So um, that one for me was was a was a pivotal moment many years ago. Well, Lee Russell, CEO of Swimming Australia, thank you so much indeed. Thanks very much for your time and for sharing so willingly with us today. Thanks, Ben. I appreciate being with you. Thank you. Well, I realise that Lee took over as CEO at Easter last year, which is the same time that we at Swim.Rocks kicked off our podcast. And can you believe it? That was 32 episodes ago, which means that we've got quite a big back catalogue that is um, very interesting if you haven't heard all of our episodes And I like to try and remind you of uh, things in our catalogue that may be of interest. So this week, I just thought I'd mention episode 13 when we were talking to Alex Perry about how to choose a racing suit. If you want to listen to that, you can go to our website, swim.rocks, or through your favourite podcast player on either your iPhone or Android device. Anyway, that's it for this week. Thanks again for joining us. Thanks also for the likes on Facebook. Until we meet next time, do please stay dry.